The passage for today is Genesis 15:5 through 6. And and behold, are you guys ready? And he brought him outside and said, "Look towards heaven and numbers of number the stars. And if you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be.' And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness." Okay. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. When you turn to your neighbor and say, uh, "May the Lord bless you today." Blessings on you. We are on the eve of the last month of 2010, and we are also on the we're also on the last of our church's nine core values. And so, as we head into the last month of this year, I'm going to go ahead and cover the last of our nine core values. So, for those who've been with us for all nine messages, let's just go through them real quick. Number one. B, extravagant in the worship. Two, father the fatherless. No, freedom. Freedom is for everyone. Janae messed me up. Freedom is for everyone. Number three, father the fatherless. Number four, be be faithful in small things. Number five. The anointing flows from the top down. Number six, roll with the punches. Number seven, supernatural is natural. And number eight, contend for the kingdom, which is the message I preached about last week. And the ninth and final core value of our church is dream big. Dream big. So look with me here in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. And God brought him, meaning Abraham, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to them, then, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Alright, could I please get a little more volume back there? You know. Also today, I just want to um, let's just uh, thank and honor the the, pra- the praise team. There are a lot of new praise team members that that were up there for the first time today. Let's uh, honor all the praise team members. Some of you may have not noticed that you know there are some new members up there, uh, but you know that's the way it should be. You know, if we're so busy praising the Lord, we don't we don't even know who is on stage. But we are thankful for those who are on stage that are, that are worshiping with us in such a way that, that we don't really even put our attention on them. It's really all upon God. And when you look at them, you will feel awkward if all you do is look at them because they're looking to God. So thank, thank the Lord for such a powerful praise ministry and worship ministry at our church. Now today here in Genesis chapter 15, God has Abraham... Go outside and count the stars. Now, I know most of us have grown up in the city and we have not really seen that many instances where we've seen a sky the way it should be seen at night. Because a lot of the city lights, it actually clouds out the sky, night sky. But if you've ever been on a mission trip to the Philippines, Indonesia or something like that, and if you look up at the sky... 
you will notice that the entire sky is filled with stars. And in, in fact, scientifically, scientists cannot count the stars that are out there because they are innumerable. There are just that many stars out there. And the, the deeper the powerful telescopes get, the more stars that they find, the more galaxies that they find. It is indeed innumerable. And what God has Abraham do one night, and there was no city light problem back then, he tells him to count the stars, if you can count them. And then God says, so shall your offspring be. Now, in other words, God was telling Abraham, I got a plan and purpose for your life. And I want you to dream. And I want you to dream big. See, why didn't God just reveal his will for Abraham little by little? Why did God have to do this toward the beginning of God's call for Abraham? Why not just reveal it step by step as Abraham was going along the way? Which is what God does with us anyway. Why this encounter in which God challenges Abraham to count the stars and to believe that his offspring shall be like the numbers, the innumerable number of stars out there. Why did God do this? Why did God have Abraham count these stars? And I believe why, why God did this with Abraham is because dreams are powerful. You know that dreams, they provide the momentum for us to reach our destinies. Revelation, prophecy, step by step. They help us to get there step by step. But it is our dreams that provide the momentum to get to our destinies. Even in the face of difficulties, obstacles, opposition and attack. Dreams provide the momentum for us to reach our destinies. And this is the reason why God takes Abraham outside. God is challenging him to dream and to dream big. So I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell him right now, you need to dream big. To dream big. God works to nurture our dreams. Satan works to destroy our dreams. And this is very evident in the life of Joseph. Through a natural dream, one in which Joseph is actually asleep, God reveals a big dream for Joseph's life. A dream that involved authority. A dream that involved him being in a position of influence. Where many will come and pay him tribute and respect. It was a big dream. God gave him this dream even in the immaturity of Joseph's youth. Because God loves to nurture the dreams of your heart. And then the Bible says that Joseph had another dream that solidified and nurtured the original dream that he had received for great influence. So in the immaturity of Joseph's youth, he had big dreams for his life. Now, God was working to nurture Joseph's dreams. Satan was working to destroy Joseph's dreams. So what happens? Satan uses the jealousy of his half-brothers. And he causes a murderous spirit to come upon his half-brothers. So all these half-brothers, they, they look at him and they're just like, you know, you are just one arrogant little man. We hate what you're sharing. We hate your dream. We, we don't like the fact that you got this nice coat uh, from, from, from our father, but we don't get anything, you know. And they were really jealous. And Satan used that jealousy to put a murderous spirit on them. So you know what? Satan was going for murder. He wasn't, wasn't going to allow Joseph to go out and try to fulfill these dreams. Satan was trying to kill Joseph. But praise the Lord. That by God's grace, right, God placed a different spirit on the oldest brother. And it said, hey, you guys, let's not kill him. All right, let's just, let's just do something else. And he was planning to actually rescue his younger brother out. 
But in the meantime, his other brothers, they decided to sell him off to slavery. All right. So through violence and murder and jealousy, Satan was trying to kill Joseph's dream. You might be like, well, I think maybe in God's sovereignty that that was just a course of events that God had ordained for Joseph's life. Okay? Maybe. I might believe that as well. But the pattern is got the fingerprints of Satan all over it. Because what happens next? Right? Joseph gets sold into slavery into Egypt, starts working at Potiphar's house, and Satan tries to kill the dream again. How? Sister, to, to the wife of Potiphar, through sexual temptation, Satan was trying to destroy Joseph's dream. But praise the Lord that, that Joseph, he resisted this temptation. And so where Satan couldn't get him with sexual temptation, Satan tried to get him next with what? With false accusation. So Joseph goes from the highest place of favor in Potiphar's house into the dungeon. Right. God is always working to nurture our dreams. Satan works to destroy our dreams. So let me ask you a question. Think about the events of your life. Don't credit the sovereignty of God for every bad thing that has happened to your life. You need to give credit where credit is due. If there's something that happened to you that was actually a dream killer, a dream crusher, it probably wasn't God. Because God wants to nurture your dreams. Even when you have poor character, he's constantly nurturing your dreams. Can I tell you right now? It is a dream fulfilled for me to pastor this church. Because seven years ago, I started to get glimpses of pastoring a church. But at that time, I'd just been a freshly graduated college student from New York University. And I had a lot of character issues. I had a lot of character issues. Obviously, I still have some of them. <laughs> but what I noticed is even in my immaturity, God was always nurturing my dreams. God's not like, hey, man, you don't got enough maturity yet. So look, man, let me send you this bad event in your life, all right, until you learn some character, and then we'll talk about your dreams. God doesn't do that. Yeah, that is bad theology if you think... That God acts in ways to kind of delay or crush your dreams or, that, or the, the passion that you have for the dreams of your life through the bad events that, that you see coming your way. That's not God. God nurtures your dreams. Satan works to destroy your dreams. Do you know what caused Joseph to stay positive and optimistic after he got sold into slavery? It's his dreams. Do you know what caused him to stay optimistic when he was falsely accused and he found himself in, in prison in a dungeon? It was his dreams. What did I say earlier? Dreams provide the momentum for you to reach your destinies. And what Satan knows is, he knows if he can crush your dreams, he knows that you will never fulfill your calling. He is deathly scared of what you will become in the future and when you come to maturity and when you connect with the right people satan is scared of you later but he's not scared of you now so he's going to try to knock you off now before what that which is in seed form comes to fruition right satan always tries to kill in infancy what he cannot defeat in adulthood he did this with moses he did this even with the Son of God, Jesus. When, when Satan found out that the Son of God was coming into the world in incarnate form, what did Satan try to do? He tried to kill in infancy what he cannot defeat in adulthood. But even in that instance, you see God using dreams, even natural dreams, to cause Joseph, his father from, not Joseph in Egypt, Joseph, uh, Jesus' dad, from divorcing Mary. Because Joseph was determined to divorce Mary. And Joseph actually got a dream. 
And it was this dream that influenced him not to divorce Mary. Dreams provide the momentum for us to reach our destinies. Dreams are so important. It will take you through the hard times. Now, if you read in Genesis 15, 6, it says that Abraham believed the Lord and, it, and God created, credited, counted to him as righteousness. In other words, Abraham had faith in the dreams that God was showing him. Faith in your dreams is very important, brothers and sisters. When you look at the life of Martin Luther King, he was imprisoned time and time again. But what caused Martin Luther King to write letters of optimism and positive messages? What caused Martin Luther King to come out and continue to pursue his dreams, even if it meant going back to prison? What caused him to stay positive and endure and continue to give leadership to the civil rights movement? What? It was his faith in his dreams. Martin Luther King made it so obvious. He, he has a famous speech called, I have a dream. And I'll tell you right now, when he used to lead those peaceful protests and marches through the streets, and all the white policemen would come out with fire hoses and batons and beat down those peaceful protesters. All right. Martin Luther King, his faith in the dreams that he has did not waver. In fact, Martin Luther King's dreams were so big that it could not have been fulfilled in his lifetime. It got fulfilled later. And in fact, if you dream big enough, you won't be able to see the full fruit of your dreams. It's so big, it takes generations to fulfill them. I mean, those are the dreams that are God-sized dreams. Because if you notice in the Bible, God does not just deal with individuals, although He does. He relates to us. He doesn't just deal with individuals, He deals with families. And not only just families, he deals with entire tribes of people. Not only tribes of people, but cities. Not only cities, but nations. Not only nations, but he deals with generations to generation. The dreams of God, sometimes they're so big, you can't see them in your own lifetime. And Martin Luther King, he didn't care if he was not going to able to be able to see the fruit of his dreams. He continued to believe. And you know what? Even though he was, he was uh, martyred, he was assassinated. The seed that Martin Luther King planted in the hearts of both African Americans and all Americans are provided the momentum to eventually carry out and fulfill the dreams and to honor this man. And fulfill the dreams that, and which now in America, for the most part, Martin Luther King's Jr.'s dream is being fulfilled. If you went to my high school, Central High School, you would have seen black kids, white kids, Asian kids, Indians. There were some Indians in my, in my, in my school. We, we were all getting along and we all, we all, well, I don't know if we all got along all the time. There was some racial tension, I admit. But we all went to the same school. There was no segregation. There was no better part of the there was no like water fountain for Asians water fountain for white people and water fountain for black people right praise the Lord if it, you have Martin Luther King Jr. to thank now I know for people that have never lived in America you're like what is the big deal with racism alright but for America racism is a big deal it was a big problem Can, Canadians are like what's the big deal But America's mad. Racism is like, it's like a demon spirit. It's like a power and principality that oppresses Americans. Right? But Martin Luther King, he had a dream. And it's his faith in his dream that provided the endurance for him to go through all the imprisonment and all the hardships. And we see the same story played out in the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he not only got imprisoned, he not only got beat, he got shipwrecked. He was naked, not on purpose, but naked. He got whipped again and whipped again. And we're not just talking like 
police batons, you're talking about a systematic whip. 39 lashes, 40 minus 1. You rip, you rip the guy's skin to shreds. Apostle Paul went through all of that. But he endured it. Whenever he got beat, he got back. And one time he got stoned to death. And people thought he was dead. And then they all left because they were like, man, finally took care of that crazy apostle. When they left, Apostle Paul just got right back up. He's like, oh, snap, I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, I better go to the hospital. Well, no, no, he didn't say that. He was like, I need to go back in and preach some more. He went right back in the same shit. What kind of crazy? What is that? That's craziness. Go to a hospital. Just got stoned to death. Why? Because he had a dream. He had a dream. He did not waver from his dream. He did not waver from his faith in his dream. His dreams provided the momentum for him to continue through all the hardships. And you know what? Apostle Paul, he had a dream to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And we are living fruits of that man's dream. If it was not for the Apostle Paul, we would not have as, as thick of a Bible as you have. And Christianity may still be a largely Jewish religion. It's because of the dreams of that man's heart. Even in the face of opposition from within the church, other influential leaders that opposed him, Paul stayed true to dreams and faith. He was faithful to the call that God put on his heart, the dreams that he was nurturing. Our dreams provide the momentum for us to reach our destinies. Now, you might be thinking, well, maybe God wants Joseph and Apostle Paul and Martin Luther King to dream big. But I don't know about me. I don't know. Maybe I should just live a humble life and die and go to, go to heaven and say, Jesus, it's wonderful to see you. And that's, that's it. That's the purpose of my existence. Maybe God has all these wonderful dreams for these other men that he's chosen. But what about me? I don't know if I'm supposed to dream big. Okay, let's answer that question. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10. What about me? Am I supposed to dream big? Brothers and sisters, if the biggest dream you have on your heart is the American dream, please do yourself a favor. Get a bigger one. American dream is nice. I think it's a good dream for poor countries to look up to. But when you've come into that place of, of influence and you have these privileges, you've got to dream a little bit bigger than just retirement. Retirement at an early age. Financial stability. Let me tell you something. Financial stability is a myth. Everybody who invested in their 401k and their retirements, they all went bust and broke. In a matter of, of just a few months when the economy collapsed. When they found out that all those investors were doing funny stuff with their money. All right. Financial stability is a myth when you place it in 401ks and retirement plans. Financial security is the truth when you place it in seeking his kingdom first. Because Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these things will be brought on to you. You want financial security. The key is in Matthew 6.33, not in your 401k plan. Although I'm not bashing on 401k plans. You guys should invest your money smartly. But don't put all your eggs there. Because it can all go away. It can all go bust with the quickness. Now look here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Very famous verses. In the ESV it says, As it is written... What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. It just, the Bible is saying, man, no one has imagined, no one has seen, no one has ever heard about these amazing plans that God has for those who love Him. That's good news, amen? And a lot of people go, well, you know, those things are so amazing, I can never imagine them, I can I've I never seen them, so I guess I shouldn't even try. Okay. Well, you need to read the rest of the Bible then. Okay. Read the next verse. Number 10, verse 10, what does it say? Everyone look at the Bible. 
These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Uh-oh. That means all these amazing plans and dreams and purposes that God has for His children. The Bible says God reveals them to us by His Spirit. So you got the Holy Spirit on you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you right now, Holy Spirit is whispering those amazing plans of God to you all the time. And you just think it's your foolish, selfish ambition. And you need to learn how to identify between your flesh and your mind and the Spirit of God. Because the Bible says in verse 10, these things God reveals it to us through the Spirit. If you keep reading here, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. So no one knows comprehends thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Check this out. Look at verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand. Everyone say understand. That we might understand the things freely given us by God. God not only reveals it to you, but He gives you His Spirit that you might understand the dreams that He's placed on your heart. No eye has seen, no ear heart, no, no mind conceived. No, oh man, we can never imagine the plans of God for our lives. Read the rest of the Bible. That is just a preface to say the plans of God for you are big. And then it gives you the responsibility, if you read the rest of verse 10 through the end of the chapter, it is a responsibility for you to understand it. That's why God gives us His Spirit. Not just so that we can know and obey, but we might know and know and do it and know why we're doing it. And that we might understand the things that God freely gives us. He reveals the plans that He has for our lives by His Spirit. Someone say amen. Go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Does God want me to dream big? Maybe God wants me to dream modestly. I should live modestly. I should just live to just take care of me and my three. Alright, well check this out. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Somebody say, walk in a manner worthy. worthy. In other words, the Bible is saying, live a life worthy of the call you've received. That means live with a big dream. It does not require faith to live with a tiny little itty bitty dream. In fact, you can probably fulfill those dreams without the assistance of God, without the grace of God. If you want to live that life and you want to be happy and complacent with that life, well, be my guest. But the Word of God does not permit us to do so. The Word of God challenges us. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live your life with a big dream. No one in heaven is impressed by your modesty. Oh, well, you know, I I don't, you know, I'm just glad I have Jesus. I'm glad I'm just saved. You know, anything else God does through me, man, it's really just God's grace. You know, but me, I'm just happy. I'm just happy just to, you know, clean the, clean the floor and work the soundboard and, and now go into glory. Look, heaven's not impressed by that attitude. Can I tell you that right now? Because that doesn't take faith to, to have that attitude. All you need is saving faith and that's it. But sanctifying faith is always challenging us to more. To go from glory to glory. Hallelujah. And the glory of the latter has to be greater than the first. Which means the purposes that God has for this generation are bigger than the purposes that God has for Apostle Paul's generation. We need to understand the times that we live in, brothers and sisters. We have both a call and a responsibility. We have privileges. And those privileges give us access to bigger dreams. But for many of us, we get easily handed positions of influence opportunities, doors open up for us for influence. And what do we do? We never take it. We, we never take it in the name of religion, name of modesty, in the name of just, let me just live a humble life. But it's just, I'm telling you right now, heaven is not impressed by the attitude. No angel in heaven saying, man, look over here. 
at, at G's life. Man, she's living such a humble, modest, plain life. Can everyone, let's applaud for G's plain, bored, bored, boring life. And there's no, no heaven, no angels in heaven are applauding for G's boring life. Now, I, I only chose G because she's not living a boring life. G left her home and came here to Korea to serve in orphanages. She's living in an orphanage right now. Because she's got a heart for these orphan children. She's got a heart for North Korea. She's coming and she's serving here, even in the, in the face of opposition from her parents. And she has walked the path. That many do not choose. Because she's got a dream in her heart. She's living with a vision and a purpose. It's carrying her. It's giving her the momentum to get through all the pain of opposition that she faces. I'm telling you right now, in heaven, the angels of God, they're rooting G on. They're like, man, those are, those are some big dreams you got, girl. You need to dream bigger. Because God is even bigger than that. He'll blow your mind and he'll keep revealing to you by his spirit. Just keep your eyes on him. Turn uh, to just look a little bit earlier. Look at Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. Everyone say far more abundantly. Than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. I read this in the NIV last week. Right? It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. God is the God of immeasurably more. God is the God of far more abundantly. And so, should I live my life with a big dream? I think the answer is yes. Look at the word of God. The word of God is saying, don't live your life just small. Don't live your life just modest. Now, modesty as a virtue is to, be, is to be praised. But modesty when it comes to decisions of faith, all right, is not to be praised at all. It's not, it's not modesty. It's insecurity. It's not modesty. That's a lack of intimacy with God. That's a lack of faith in God. That's your own fears, that if you try, you will fail. So let me just call it modesty so I can look good in front of people. Come on, somebody. Let me make you feel a little naked today. Don't live your life with a little itty-bitty dream. Because once again, it doesn't require faith to go and fulfill that. And it probably, you can do it without God. God wants you to dream the types of dreams where you need God from the beginning, you need God in the middle, and you need God in the end, you need God all the way in between, and you're like, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this today. Lord, I did it yesterday, but I don't know how I'm going to do it today. I need you today. I need you next week. I need you every day. I need you. I need you. Feel me. We need to be like one. We need to work together, God. We need to be at oneness with each other. Because without you, I'm going to look like a fool. That's it. That's it right there. The types of dreams, the size of your dreams should be so big that if you try to attempt it without God, you'll look like a fool. If you, if you are dreaming big, that, if you're dreaming dreams that big, you're, you're on the right track. And sometimes you will look like a fool because sometimes you will be a fool and you will not depend on God. And you may try to fulfill it and people try to fulfill the dreams of God sometimes in their own flesh. And God has to just, you know, kind of knock them over the head and bring them back. God does that. So should I dream big for my life? The answer, I believe, is yes. Now, how do I identify my dreams? How do I identify my dreams? I got a lot of dreams. When, when I was a kid, when I was in sixth grade, I wanted to be a professional ice hockey player. I wanted to play for the Philadelphia Flyers. I used to keep track of every single game. From like 1987 to 1991, I used to keep a, a written record of, of, of who was goalie, and, uh, and uh, you know, all the little details of the game, I'll write it down. I have it somewhere in Philly still. <laughs> what became of that dream? Right? So what are the, what are the dreams that, are, that God wants me to nurture and God wants me to pursue? 
And how do I identify it from just, you know, whatever dreams to the dreams that are actually divine? How do I identify it? Let me give you two clues. Man, I can't, I try to come up with three. I try to come up with three. I could have sworn there will be three. But there's only two, all right? There's only two that I can identify. If somebody has a better, better third point, you can, you can feel free, all right? But number one and number two, here we go. How do I identify my dreams? Number one, your gifts, your giftings, your natural giftings and whatever supernatural anointings you receive, your gifts, gives you clues about the dreams that you should pursue. So it's like this. If you're Tiger Woods and you're trying to play basketball, no. All right. Tiger, you need to go out there, get yourself a club, all right, and start hitting some golf balls. Okay. Your gifts give you clues to your dream. Um, Michael Jackson. All right. Now, I know I'm just naming random celebrities, but look, check this out. All these random celebrities at one point, they were nobodies. They were just another kid on the block. Do you know how they got to their positions of influence? They got there by pursuing their dreams. They got there by hard work and sacrifice. They got there even in the face of opposition. So what we need to learn from secular celebrities, the church can learn a lot from secular celebrities, is what I'm saying. Michael Jackson, that boy was born with a gift. Right? And he has this dancing gift. And what if like some kids at the playground were like, man, that's, that's corny. Whatever. That's not, that doesn't look good to us. Oh. No, that doesn't look good to us. And people were just putting him down. And everyone at that time played basketball. So what Michael Jackson's like, I hate my gifts. And just playing basketball. Right? Michael Jackson, we would have missed out on the moonwalk. When I was a kid, I loved Michael Jackson. I was five years old in Korea, in Tegu, and I used to do the moonwalk. My dad will get me in front of his friends, and they'll be all drunk. And they'll be like, oh, watch my son do a little Michael Jackson. Hey, son, do some Michael Jackson. And I'll be like, whoa. And his, his drunk friends will be like, oh, your son's crazy. <laughs> He's good. He's real good. I used to love Michael Jackson. Man, he, he, he was in a position of influence. And he got there by pursuing his dreams. And the way he got clued into his dreams was through his gifts. So let me tell you right now, believe that you got gifts. Because you got them. Every single one of you, you have gifts. Different ones than your neighbor. And the devil has lied to you and said, you got no abilities, you got no gifts. That is a lie. You have gifts. Some of them are even hidden. And they're going to come out when you connect with the right people. They're going to come out when you step out in faith. They're going to come out when you attempt something that you never attempted before. Like going to American Idol. Right? Julianne's cousin. What's his homie's name? John Park. Right? John Park. This kid, you know, comes on to American Idol in America... And he actually gets a ticket to Hollywood and actually makes a couple of the cuts, gets complimented like crazy by Shania Twain, right? John Park, and then on the, on the way to Top of American Idol, he got cut. And then they find out about John Park here in Korea, and once they start American Idol here in Korea, Superstar K, he comes on the show here. And homie cannot speak Korean very well. Right? But he's just getting by and getting by and learning as much as he can during the auditions for the show. All right? And he became, he became runner-up to the finalists here in American Idol in Korea. John Park, if he will keep pursuing his dreams with the gifts that he has, he'll come into positions of influence. I'll tell you that right now. You know, what's his face on the... Um, uh, what's the uh, Korean-American kid? Crown J. Crown J. I saw Crown J rap four years ago. Three, three years ago. Three years ago at a concert with Cry Brian. Right? Cry Brian had a concert. 
And, and you know, he, he brought out, you know, we have some musical guests. And I'm like, man, you make, hurry up with the musical guests. Hurry up, cry. You come out here, cry, Brian, and you lead us in worship. And I'm just thinking, you know, this is opening acts and they're, they're nothing. And, and this homeboy Crown J comes up and he's got a little swagger. Uh, he's got a swagger, right? He comes out, he raps, he performs, and everyone thinks he's arrogant because, you know, Koreans aren't used to that swagger, right? But he, keep, he kept pursuing his dream. And maybe his dream wasn't to be a rapper. Maybe it was. I don't know if he's still pursuing that. But he, that opened up the door for him to get into acting. And just a little few months after that, he's on Uri, Uri Kyonaso. An entire nation is watching the show. And where they try to bring other celebrities into the show, is where, the show is where two celebrities pretend to be married for like a month or something like that. And then they videotape everything. It's really funny. And... Uh, <laughs> And they try to rotate in different celebrities. But guess what? Every season, guess what? Crown J and uh, uh, hit, maybe one more time, girl. I forget his name. <laughs> they're always back each season. They're, every season they're back. You know why? I bet you it's not because of baby one more time. It's because of Crown J. Crown J. He's got a little swagger. He's got like a gift. Now, now if, if somebody would disciple Crown J, all right? Man, he could, he could have positive influence among the youth of the nation. You know? Instead of just pursuing money and fame, if somebody would disciple that young man, he could have positive influence. But check this out. Maybe even in here, there are crown J's that are waiting to be discovered. There are people in here. You got a dream on your heart. And whenever you share with your pastor, you share with a friend... They just laughed it off and put you down. Let me, let, me, let me share with you another story. Manny Pacquiao. Okay. I went to the islands of General San, the city of General Santos off the islands of Mindanao in the south of the Philippines. It's where a lot of Muslims live. And they're, they're known to be like Al-Qaeda camps down there. Right? And so I remember when we go on trips there, U.S. military personnel were not allowed to uh, go onto the islands. So we'd always have to drop off. We wouldn't we be able to take military personnel with us. And I've been to that, the, the southern part of Mindanao, to all the cities there. I've been to Jensan. Right? Jensan's poor. It's not as poor as like the Vow and some other cities. Jensan's pretty poor. That's where Mani Pacquiao grew up. And his homie, he's short like me. He's like five, six and a half, five, seven at most, isn't he? Right? He's like a five, seven. I think they, they put him as five, eight. Man, ain't kidding nobody. He's like five, six and three quarter or something like that. He's short. He's short. And he was poor. And he was a skinny little kid. But you know what? He had a dream. You know what his dream is? It's not boxing. Boxing just simply became the platform to his dream. His dream was to be like Joseph. To be like the Joseph of the Bible. To have political influence so that he can lift his nation out of the poverty that he had to come up out of. So Manny Pacquiao, right? I, I watched the um, 60 Minutes documentary on him. Boxing experts, they have now label, labeled Manny, Manny Pacquiao of the Philippines as the greatest boxer that has ever lived. People that worked with Mike Tyson, that worked with Muhammad Ali, they are saying that Manny Pacquiao is pound for pound the greatest boxer that has ever lived. And he's a short, light, he's not that heavy, but the thing is he has championships and I believe it's now eight weight divisions. So he'll fight people in his weight class. It's like me fighting, you know, Who's in my weight class? Justin, right? Me fighting Justin and messing him up, knocking him out. And then I'll fight John. I'll go up another weight class and I'll knock out John, mess him up. And then, and then people are like, you know, oh, well, you think you're all so bad? Why don't you go up another weight class? I'll be like, all right, bring it. And Sangho comes. <laughs> all right, this homie here. Bigger reach, heavier weight, and I'll knock him out. That's what Manny Pacquiao does. He messed up Oscar De La Hoya. He, he not only put him out of that, he put him out of that match, he put him out of boxing. Oscar De La Hoya retired after he got defeated by Manny Pacquiao because his face got so rearranged. 
Anyway, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going off on these tangents, but Manny Pacquiao, boy, boy had a dream. That's why he moved to Manila and started fighting, because he had a dream. And I'm telling you right now, because he has so much money and influence now and popularity, right? He ran for office in the, in the Congress, one of the Congress seats in, in the Philippines, a Senate or Congress, I think it's Congress, and he won. And some people ask him, you going to run for president eventually? And Manny Pacquiao goes, well, we'll just, uh, I'm not going to answer that question. Right? Set like a true politician. But I'm telling you, this man's got a dream to have positive influence over his nation. And he did it through boxing. Who would have thought? He ain't no Mike Tyson. All right. I mean, and George Foreman, Foreman also, man, he, he used boxing to sell us really good grills. God bless him for that. I have one of them at home. They're really great. Low fat. I don't know if that was his ultimate dream. I think his ultimate dream was to have like 10 children and all named after him, which he has fulfilled. George Foreman, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I don't know how many George Foremans he has. He has five, five sons named George Foreman. All from the same wife though. Not like Evander Holyfield. No, that's another story. Anyway. All right, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me get to my second point. Let me finish this up. I got to finish this up. All right, how do I identify my dreams? Number one, your gifts. It clues you in to your dreams. Number two, your passion. Your preferences. What you like. What you enjoy consistently again and again and again. Those passions clue you in to your dreams. So some people, they have a passion for fashion. That might be a clue into using, you know, you think about the influence of Project One Way. This show, using fashion, has so taken off that they have spin-offs of this show in almost every nation of the world that has a good media, uh, media culture. They have Project One Way in Korea, which is not nearly as dramatic or fun to watch. But think about the enormous influence that this show, the producers of the show, and Heidi Klum have now. And they use the platform of fashion. Or maybe your passion is for law. Maybe your passion is for architecture. Maybe your passion is for teaching. Maybe you have a passion for preaching, acting, entrepreneurship. Tell you right now, your passions, it gives you clues to the dreams that God wants you to dream. And a lot of religious Christianity, they tell you it's all about self-denial. Uh, I have a dream to uh, pursue an acting career in Hollywood. Young man, you need to deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. Hollywood's full of the devil. Don't go in there. All right, you go make a good Christian movie or something that doesn't sell very well. You know, that's exactly what pastors tell you when you, when you think outside the box and you, you have a calling from God. And just because your calling doesn't look like their calling, they try to bash your calling. They are condescending toward your calling. And I apologize on behalf of all the pastors who've ever done that to you. Because that's not biblical. Right? What Martin Luther, the reformer, taught was that there is no difference between sacred or secular call. Whether you're called to the pulpit, all right, or you're called to carpentry. Both calls are sacred before God. Because every calling comes from God. And when God calls, He doesn't just call people to full-time ministry. He calls them into every sphere of society. He needs spirit-filled people in carpentry. He needs spirit-filled electricians. He needs spirit-filled engineers. He needs spirit-filled actors and actresses, spirit-filled singers, spirit-filled hip-hop background dancers who eventually end up coming up and making their own record label, spirit-filled directors, spirit-filled monitor speaker makers, hallelujah, spirit-filled every area of society. And that's how the kingdom comes. But a lot of the church, we just forfeit all these spheres of influence. Because we believe that our job is solely to support the church 
put all our money toward missions and evangelism and give up on all these other dreams that we have. The, the religious spirit will always tell you, what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? But the spirit of God doesn't talk that way. Spirit of God says, you can do it. Pure spirit of God says, oh, that's a, that's a nice dream. That is a good dream. You have the gifts. You have the passion to fulfill it. And you're also going to need relationships. You're also going to need the right timing, the right people, the right situation. I'm going to give that all to you too. Keep your eyes on me. I want you to pursue those dreams, young man. I want you to make it big, Denzel. Right? Everybody know about Denzel's story, right? I shared this already. All right, Denzel Washington, when he was a young man, he got prophesied over at a spirit-filled church that he would come into a place of influence in Hollywood. And he would make films, and every film that he makes will make millions of dollars. That's the best-kept secret in Hollywood, is that Denzel is a spirit-filled Christian. He is a charismatic, crazy Christian. Crazy for Jesus. Brothers and sisters, let us dream big. Let us dream big. I pray that out of this church, there will be those who will start the next Forever 21. The next H&M. You know, just keeping it really vague, the owners of Forever 21, they're Koreans, Korean Americans, Korean American Christians. They're not, I don't even know if they're spirit-filled, I'm not sure. But they're Presbyterian, I think, Korean American Christians. And they use a good chunk of that money to do a lot of good work, which I can't name because I've, I've been sworn to secrecy. I can't, I'll keep a secret. I can keep a secret, honey. I'm going to keep this secret. They, do, they use all that money. They use, it, they use it for a lot of good charity work, a lot of good, uh, good work. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say it, but I can't. Out of this church will come forth those who will pioneer the next Forever 21. God will prosper your business. And you will sell the, the clothing fashion that you design one week will be on the backs of all Chinese people the following week. I'm serious. I'm serious. Out of this church, I believe there's going to be like the next Outback Steakhouse, like a restaurant chain. You know? That's well-designed, great atmosphere, great food, good prices, you know. You know, like if you go to a good restaurant and you go to a bad restaurant, guess what? The good restaurant is a blessing to you. You ever go to a bad restaurant? It just messes you up for the whole night. It's like, man, that, was, that sucked. A restaurant should close down or something. But when you go to a good restaurant, if you, you feel like you can have conversation, you can get intimate with people. Restaurants are a source of blessing. Uh... Out of here, I believe there will be next Banyan tree. The next chain of amazing heaven on earth hotels. <laughs> right? Our brother Paul Park here, he works at Banyan tree right now. All right? And when he first started working there earlier in the year, Aaron and I, we started to pray and believe that God will somehow give us favor to stay at Banyan tree one day. <laughs> All right? And so, where's Paul? I don't think he's here today. I think he's working today. Oh, he's here. He's in the back. And uh, we thought it would take maybe like three, four years or something like that. You know, because, you know, Paul's got to get, go up the ladder and, and, you know, have a lot of influence. Well, this year he makes this, you know, big sale. And uh, next thing you know, he's like, oh, I, I booked you guys an appointment at Banyan Tree for a couple nights. And Aaron and I are like, what? Is, are you kidding us? Right? But I was like, oh, thanks, bro. <laughs> I, just, I just try to keep it real cool. Like, you know, like I go to luxury hotels like that. <laughs> right? <clears throat> I remember we, we got to the hotel, this is about two weeks, three weeks ago, all right? Aaron got to the hotel, and we opened up these automatic curtains with a remote control, and it opened up, there was like a, there was like a pool inside of our uh, hotel room. There's a pool, right? And then, and then there's this window, full of all windows all around, and the window opened up, and there's, there's Namsan Tower right there, right? And as, as the curtains are opening up, Aaron's like, yeah, 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 yeah! <laughs> and, and I was like... Oh, that's cool. I was trying to stay real calm. But man, inside I was like, yeah! 
We just stayed there for just two nights, and man, it was like heaven on earth. It was amazing. This hotel chain, they're no joke. It's not like the Hilton hotels. I mean, they go all out, and you know, and you pay for it if you have to pay for it. I mean, we didn't pay for it, but if you pay for it, you pay for it. I mean, it, it is like heaven on earth. But you know, for people that could afford it, that gives them peace. And you know, if they're busy at their job and they have family trouble or something, they come out to a hotel like that, they get that peace. You know, hotel chains can be a source of blessing. I'm telling you right now, out of this church, man, they're going to come out the next Reinhard Bonnke and Catherine Coleman's. They're going to carry even a greater anointing than these evangelists ever carried. They're going to raise the dead. They're going to stay at hotel rooms. And the whole floor of the hotel, people will be, again, healed. They visit hospitals. And the whole floor of the hospitals will get emptied out. Because the power and anointing of God will come with such healing power. All right. Brothers and sisters, let us dream big. Even if you dream big and, and you don't quite see all the dreams fulfilled, even if you fall short of a big dream, that's pretty good. <laughs> or you fall short of just whatever. That's not going to glorify God very much. And it's not going to require God either. Let us be a church that dreams big and is dependent on God to fulfill those dreams. And let us move forward. To advance the kingdom of God and to see the glory of God cover this earth as the waters of sea. In our church, we have a big dream to plant churches in Busan, in Jeju, and in Pyongyang. And I believe that that dream is much closer than you you all realize. I believe that hillside people, after a hillside service will take a KTX train and go visit the Pyongyang service or go there for a revival, a Clyde 2014-15. We'll just take a little KTX train and we're over there. And we are praising our hearts out in the city of Pyongyang. Some of you may look at me and say, that is one crazy dream. Well, you don't know the God that I serve. He can open up doors that are closed and whatever doors we open, no man can shut. Our church, we have, we have big dreams. We have big dreams to uh, disciple nations. We have, dis- we have big dreams to end human trafficking. We believe that when we look at the modern-day s- slave trade, that this needs to end. That this is Satan taking advantage of all the poverty and oppression that's going on in Cambodia and Thailand and in Vietnam. And we believe all that needs to end. And we have a big dream that we can see it end. We're not just talking about so a little bit. We talk about ending it. Because guess what? All the African slaves in America at one point, they had that dream in their hearts. They would sing in the counting fields spiritual songs. Because by God's grace, they heard the gospel and they got saved. Many of these slaves, they would be in the counting fields. They would sing songs, spiritual songs of freedom. That's why they loved Moses' story. If you study African American history, you will notice that a lot of their songs... They're not, they're not hymns. They used to call, sing what's called spirituals. With, uh, un, they have off-beat rhythms, and there was no particular you know, musical order. It was, it was a lot of freedom in it. And, and people ended up transposing it later because they were so good. But a lot of these spiritual songs will talk about Moses because all those, all those slaves, they had dreams that one day they would breathe freedom, that slavery as an institution would end. And guess what? I believe that our church will see that in Asia. Somebody say amen. amen. But we need each other. We need to work with those who we don't get along so well with. We need to partner with an actor, partner with a hagwon owner, partner with a, a politician. As we do that, man, we are going to make a huge dent in the kingdom of darkness for the glory of our God. Everyone say, dream big. Dream big. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God. I just pray right now. I just speak to every heart. And I just command that inside the hearts of your people will rise up faith. Faith in the dreams that you've already been revealing to many of them. And for those who have no clue as to what dreams they should dream, 
I just pray that God, Lord, that you would begin to reveal that by your spirit. Where they have felt lost, I pray that they will come into intimacy with you. Where they have been going their own way, I pray that, that they will reach the foot of the cross in repentance and begin to live fully surrendered to you. That they will forfeit the worldly life, forfeit the self-centered life, and they begin to live a life for your glory, God. So I just pray, I speak to every heart. Faith rise up. The dream, big dreams. We don't just want regular, average dreams. We don't want just ex- the, the dreams that we can easily expect. We want dreams that are immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We want to see dreams rise up among your people, God. Within this church, among the individuals of this church, I just pray. Even visitors that just came just for today, that they would take this message and they would go out and they would establish your kingdom in every sector of society so that we may disciple nations for your glory, God. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.